Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. Oregon forest laws were the topic when representatives from Oregon Wild spoke recently at the Fort George Lovell Room. Chandra Legue and Jason Gonzalez argued that strong forest laws are good for business and jobs, even as they benefit the environment and help against global warming. This morning we'll hear their presentation, edited for time. There are a few places where they refer to slides, which are hard to see on the radio, but you'll understand the gist of what they are saying. Chandra Legue speaks first, followed by Jason Gonzalez, and a couple of questions from the audience are answered at the end. For most of Oregon Wild's uh, 45 plus year history at this point, um, we have focused on protecting our federal public lands. And that includes about half of Oregon. Um, it's about 30 million acres of Oregon is um, federal public lands managed by the US Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. And these places are um, special for so many reasons. They are providing us with a lot of things that we all live in Oregon for. These are the places where we hike, where we mountain bike, where we fish, where we um, get on a kayak, where we collect mushrooms. They are the most beautiful, stunning places that we have um, to enjoy these activities. Um, so recreation is a really important aspect of our public lands. We you know, here on the North Coast, state parks also play into this, um, like Cape Lookout and Tillamook Head. Um, but, you know, think of the Three Sisters Wilderness or Waldo Lake, um, Crater Lake National Park. Uh, amazing places that people come to Oregon to visit or that residents um, can enjoy year-round. Another really important aspect of our public lands is the water they provide. I'm lucky enough to live in Eugene where my water comes from the Mackenzie River. Has anyone ever rafted on the Mackenzie or hiked on the Mackenzie River? Yeah. <laughs> it's a gorgeous, gorgeous river. Um, about half of that watershed is in the National Forest and its headwaters are in the, three, uh, the Mount Washington Wilderness um, where, where snow melt kind of slowly trickles down through the old growth forests that are protected and, um, and where those forests are doing an amazing job of uh, filtering the water, keeping it cold with the uh, old growth forest shading the streams. Um, we're really lucky that a lot of Oregonians get to drink water um, and that salmon can live in water like this, um, protected from, with, with these forests. Unfortunately, not all watersheds are the same. Here in the North, north Coast, um, we often see some industrial timber practices that leave streams unprotected. Um, this map over here, um, Rockaway Beach is kind of right in the middle, um, is of the, the watershed that Rockaway Beach gets its drinking water from. And all those purple marks are clear cuts that have happened in the last 15 years. Um, so that watershed pretty much looks like this. So the forest is not able to do its job of filtering water, shading the streams, and providing amazing drinking water that many places um, do enjoy. Our public lands also are really the best places for wildlife to live. The native wildlife of Oregon uh, is pretty amazing. There's a lot of diversity, but our intact wild lands and old forests are really where the best places for these wildlife to thrive. They're not challenged by roads and cars and ATVs tearing up their land. They need 
they need some of these intact areas that don't have, don't have roads, have never been logged. And that's where we, we find them on, on public lands. So another really important uh, aspect of our public lands is what they provide for our local economy and the economy of Oregon as a whole. So there are studies out there that show that the more protected land that there is, um, the higher the uh, per capita income and the lower the unemployment rate. Of course, underlying all of these important values that public lands are providing for all of us and for wildlife is climate change. It's something that's already, um, and we're, we're all seeing this, impacting uh, many of these values and things we care about on public lands. Um, so with climate change, we're going to see impacts on water. Um, there's flashier um, flooding events. There's less snowpack. Um, there's less water in reservoirs in uh, a lot of a lot of the time of year. There's warmer temperatures in our rivers and streams, which lead to impacts like um, having toxic algae blooms. Um, a lot of impacts from climate change there. On um, wildlife and plants, they're having changing seasons, so they have to uh, seek out um, uh, things to eat in different seasons than they're used to, and that's kind of difficult. Um, and deal with more diseases and pathogens that can thrive in the warmer temperatures. Um, wildfire is affected in our forests, especially with hotter, drier summers and a longer drought. Um, so our public lands, while uh, providing all these, all these things, are going to have a harder time as our climate warms. Our forests, especially on public lands, are wonderfully equipped to help mitigate some of those changes, however, if we, if we kind of give them the tools to do so, which is to sequester carbon from the atmosphere and store it for long periods of time. As forests grow older, um, they're able to store a tremendous amount of, car amount of carbon. So the older the forests grow, the more carbon they're storing for the longer period of time. And that's one of the reasons that our old growth forests in Oregon that remain are so important. Nine out of 10 of uh, the highest carbon storing forests in the Pacific Northwest are, are in the Pacific Northwest, but six of those are in Oregon. So we have a lot of potential here with our temperate forests to store carbon just because of the climate that we have, the types of trees that we have, and their ability to grow to pretty uh, old ages. So unfortunately, even though we have all these amazing things that public lands are providing for us, we all probably, hopefully, can agree are important to us. We have this history of uh, degrading these forests and, and all, these, all these things we've talked about, water quality, wildlife habitat, the ability to store carbon, recreational opportunities. Um, we've logged an awful lot of our public lands over the last century. In fact, we only have between 10 and 20 percent of our old growth forests that were here um, 150 years ago left. So essentially, we've taken really complex forests, uh, like this one, which have big trees that are storing carbon, that are providing amazing wildlife habitat for critters like the northern spotted owl, which is uh, listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Um, we've got young trees growing up. It's just really healthy. There's healthy soil that's filtering the water that's draining into our watersheds. And we've converted it first to those clear cuts and now to these dense plantation stands, which are pretty much just one species of tree. Um, there's not really that structure, habitat uh, for all the wildlife that used to live there. 
And honestly, the soil um, in, the, in the intermediate time between these two stages, when it's clear-cut, has been degraded by runoff and uh, burning of the soil and things like that. So we really want to see the protection of the remaining old forests that have never been logged and wild areas that have never had roads built into them. Um, protect those for future generations of wildlife and people um, across the state. And then also restore the forests that have been logged and had roads built into them so that they can become um, public lands that offer all of these, the benefits that we've talked about tonight. So Oregon has uh, two and a half million acres of wilderness currently. That's, as we talked about, only 4% of the state, which lags far behind um, our neighboring states. And it looks like a little slice of Oregon that's about the size of the Willamette Valley. Um, we can do better. And those uh, new wilderness areas are going to come from the last remaining intact roadless areas, forested areas across the state. Another way of um, uh, accomplishing our common sense vision for forests on public lands is through restoration. So the hundreds of thousands of acres of uh, public lands that have been clear cut and replanted with these dense plantations, we can thin them. Um, that's a technical term, using logging equipment to uh, produce timber, but also taking out, you know, maybe up to half of the trees in those dense plantations and introducing more diversity um, so they can grow into forests that have um, wildlife habitat, um, at the same time providing jobs. We also need to recognize that with fires um, and drought conditions getting worse um, with climate change, having healthy forests that um, have old, for, you know, old trees uh, in, uh, in them, um, they're going to be able to withstand forest fires better um, than small plantations are. Unfortunately, there's still sort of threats pushing back against this common sense vision that we see. Um, there's pressure, uh, political pressure in, in Congress, at our state level, even from the counties, um, against this sort of work in protecting and restoring our public lands. Um, there's still old growth timber sales being proposed, especially on BLM lands in Western Oregon. And there's things like logging after a fire that can have a lot of really detrimental ecological impacts. Um, so there's, there's still threats to what we're working towards in, as far as protecting our public lands. Um, so it's just a reason that uh, Oregon Wild's here and uh, pushing back against these bad ideas and, uh, and hopefully we can uh, continue to work for a brighter future for our public lands. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Jason Gonzalez. Um, I'm the forest and watershed campaign organizer for Oregon Wild. Tell you a little bit real quick about where I come from. Uh, this is my backyard. Um, this is where I live. I live in the town of Walton, halfway between Eugene and Florence, really right in the heart of the coast range. I'm surrounded by forest. I'm surrounded by industrial forest lands. And like most people where I live, we cut down a lot of trees and we do stuff with them. Why wouldn't we? Uh, I build stuff all the time. I'll tell you, this works out a lot better than going to the local hardware store um, and buying stuff that came from a clear cut. And that's because if you can see this forest here in the background behind our mill, that's what we leave behind. Not bad, right? We've made three entries onto that hill. We've sent truck, not only have we milled stuff to build my, my house, my wife's office, uh, uh, a, number, a number of outhouses and other things around the property that we've got, including multiple residential homes. Um, not all of it off of this hill. We've, we've got um, about 80 acres that were being logged and, and another 80 that was more recently acquired. Um, but we, 
we've made those multiple entries onto this, and, and not only for our own mill, but we've also at some points sent truckloads of wood to local mills. And this is what we call FSC logging. This is a Forest Stewardship Council certified um, uh, operation. I don't own it. I actually rent a cabin here and help the, help the landowner uh, manage the land, and he helps me do conservation work, and so it's really incredible. And what we're really going for is to leave those healthy forests and regrow them, like Chandra was talking about. Well, we believe uh, both at, where, at Oregon Wild, where I work, and at home where I work, and with the community that I work in, what we believe is that we can't just abandon these places or just stop everything, but we actually have to really work to regrow these healthy forest ecosystems. And I believe that we can work in our forests and still leave these important, diverse, multi-layered canopies with all different kinds of trees growing throughout them. Uh, this is actually a full-on stand of old growth that we've got, where we've got trees ranging from two to 400 years of age. Now, what you see most time in areas where we're doing logging for business production is this is what we grow back, right? We've all seen the clear cuts, but not everybody's been into the heart of a plantation. And this is what we're replanting. Uh, maybe you've seen those billboards. If you leave town, you have seen those billboards. Maybe you've seen those internet commercials. Maybe you've even caught, like some of us have, um, ads from the Oregon's, uh, Oregon's uh, biggest propaganda for timber, um, the Oregon Forest Resources Institute, uh, running TV ads during the Super Bowl to brag about the fact that we protect streams, which isn't true, but that we plant four trees for every one we cut down. What that means is we take this and we turn it into this, I call this a matchbox forest or a tree farm. You've heard about forest fires in Oregon, of course, but what the science tells us is that these places actually burn much more severely than these places. So where I live and where so many of us live, surrounded by these plantations and tree farms, that's actually a pretty scary proposition if you ask me. We don't want to leave this behind. We don't want this dead zone. We don't want this monocrop of rows of Douglas fir trees with dead branches touching each other. Unfortunately, if this tree farm, which, which uh, my landlord has recently acquired for restoration next door to our property, I'm really excited about that. If this was uh, still in the hands of the previous corporate forest landowner, um, who, like so many of these Wall Street foresters do these days, basically took off on us and, and put this up for sale, um, they would, have been, they would have been clear cutting this again in less than 10 years, maybe much less with the current trend, where over the last decade or two, we've gone anywhere from logging these places from on average of 40 to 60 years, down to getting down into the 30 to 40 years, with even some areas going under 30 years where they're putting wood into pulp production um, or exporting these really small logs. But we don't want this, and so what we're doing is going into these places and thinning them out and rediversifying. And like I said, as you can see here, this is a dead zone. This is not wildlife habitat. I actually really try to avoid even calling these places forests. If you ask me if it's going to be qualified as a forest, it should have at least a handful of species living in it. And so what Oregon Wild is doing about that, what I do for a living for Oregon Wild, is working out in rural communities in what we call frontline or impacted communities that are surrounded by this. Places like Astoria, I haven't made it as much into, but I work really on the coast all the way from Port Orford up, working with community organizations like my friends, the citizens of Rockaway Beach for watershed protection. Anybody know those folks? This is us out of Oswald West State Park last year, educating folks about the fact that clear-cutting and aerial spray was going on on more than half of Oswald West's main stream there, Short Sand Beach. Anybody, everybody's been to Short Sand Beach and seen the kids, surfers, and dogs playing in the pooled water on the beach, right? Well, that pooled water has been sprayed by herbicides multiple times every year for the last probably 15 years. So we came out that day to tell those folks about it and make sure that they knew what they were getting into and that they knew that they needed to take action, and they did that with us. 
Fortunately for y'all, we talked about drinking water. Fortunately for y'all, if you really watch this map, you'll see that while maybe there's some small, there, there are potentially some improvements to be made, Astoria's watershed is actually privately owned by the city and managed as a FSC, which I mentioned earlier, and I'm gonna talk about again, uh, watershed. Now, there's a lot of people that I know here locally that would like to see that be done even better, but you can find your watershed on this map because it's one of the only pieces of forest that never turns all the way brown. And so it actually is being managed much better than most, most of our watersheds around most of the state and has a pretty healthy forest ecosystem. Every brown patch that shows up on here is a clear cut that has happened since 1990. There's not big box stores being developed or new cities popping up out of nowhere or somebody's pool they dug in the backyard or, or farm showing up. These are large clear cuts of anywhere from 40 uh, to 120 acres um, that are popping up um, as brown spots on this map. And so this was the scale of the problem that we're dealing with. Just in these two little areas that I'm able to show you today, you can see just how much land we're seeing deforested um, in Oregon. I think often in Oregon we hear about deforestation and we think about things that are happening um, in the tropics or, or in other places, um, but it's really our own temperate rainforest that's experiencing some severe level of deforestation and some of the most intense carbon loss you can find on the planet. This is what that looks like up close. This is a clear cut nearby me. As you can see, these gullies that we all know are streams are not protected at all. Um, in fact, about 74% on average of Oregon's stream network is completely unprotected from this type of clear cut logging right over the top of that flowing water. Um, we often hear, like I said, on those TV commercials and whatnot, that Oregon's has strong logging laws that protect streams. I don't know what they're looking at, but this is what I find when I go out there. Only the lowest sections of these streams um, that are larger and contain specific types of fish are actually protected. The presence of fish does not protect a stream from clear-cut logging right over the top of it. Um, and the presence of water at certain times of the year does nothing to protect it from the aerial spraying of herbicides at other times of the year where the summer might dry it up because of the clear-cut logging. Those of us that have these streams and spend time in clear-cut lands know that once these clear-cuts happen, these streams start drying up because they're exposed to so much heat, sun, and, and, and uh, potential for evaporation. Once that happens, um, these places, after they're clear-cut, they're aerial sprayed with herbicides, and that's something we like to talk about a lot that we're not going to get too much into. Um, but I want you to know that all those places we just talked about on these maps that are colored, they stopped aerial spraying on all of those places over half of Oregon's forests over 30 years ago. On all of Oregon's federal lands, we stopped aerial spraying through community activism, largely based on the Central Coast in the Alsi area. Um, for concerns of human health and safety. So what I would challenge anyone to explain to me is if it's so unsafe to apply herbicides by air in 50 to 60% of Oregon's forest land, why is it that the rest of that land that so much of us live in, so much of us live in, we don't have a lot of people living in the middle of federal forest. We have a lot of people living in the middle of industrial timberlands. And all of those places on this map are experiencing aerial spray if they're not in a, good, a better type of forest management. What a lot of people tell me is that, well, you know, if we log it and then we build stuff out of that lumber, fortunately that carbon is trapped. And, you know, all we're actually doing is getting a chance to trap even more carbon, you know, but the thing is, that's just not true. And what the science shows us is that anywhere as low as 15% of that carbon is actually stored in that finished product compared to what was stored in that forest that could have been growing for hundreds or thousands of years. We, we titled this talk, How Strong Forest Laws Are Good for Business. Bad forest laws are bad for business. As Chandra explained, those public lands where we have the highest level of protection on our forests are experiencing economic booms. They're having really good times. It's good for all types of business, 
potentially including logging operations as we see in the coast range, where the reality is that the, the, the more carefully we log, the more jobs we create. This is what it looks like in Kate's neighborhood where she's really trying to get folks onto the river. This is the Jetty Creek watershed that right here you'll see just in the last 15 or 16 years before, of data that's available, almost 90% of their watershed was clear-cut logged in, in less than 20 years. Now the town of Rockaway Beach had to spend millions of dollars installing new water filtration systems in order for their folks to be able to drink water in that area. Now when we talk about how strong forest, I talk about how, I'm saying how weak forest laws are bad for business, strong forest laws are good for business. We talked about organic farming, and I don't want you to read this wall of text here, but I highlighted the real sticking point here in red, which is that counties with organic development in their communities have lower poverty rates and higher median annual household incomes, with poverty rates dropping by 1.3 percentage points and incomes rising for the people in this area. Now what we're learning from our friends out here in rural Oregon that are trying to run organic farms is they can't do it if they're surrounded by aerial spray that's drifting up to four and a half miles off-site and polluting their, their organic gardens. We've got friends who we work with in the business community who've literally had to destroy crops and sell land because of local clear-cutting nearby. So those businesses that are actually having the ability to boost our rural economies are actually suffering under weak laws and benefit under strong laws. And beyond that, who's benefiting from these strong forest laws are folks like us who are really working to do sustainable logging and provide a wood products industry that we don't need to be ashamed of. And we work with folks like that all over the state. Here's a neighbor of mine who's got about 100 acres in, in uh, various forms of conservation, easement, and sustainable production. Uh, this is my friend Peter Hayes, who's actually not far from here, uh, up in the area of timber. Uh, his family has been logging in this area for generations. They currently have 800 acres of FSC forest land that they're actually being able to provide jobs and provide wood products to the community without destroying ecosystems. Um, some more friends of mine who are doing different types of logging. This is from the Central Coast. This is the trees they leave behind. This is my friends, the Doimling family with Xena Forest Products down in the Salem area who are providing dozens of jobs every year. Now these folks, the thing that makes it hardest for them to compete is the fact that when you want to do well, it costs money. And it's really hard to have these products on the market when at the same time we have Wall Street-based investment firms that are doing everything they can to drive us to the bottom because it's all about fast, not sustainable. It's all about now, not tomorrow. It's all about profits, not watersheds. Now those folks that are benefiting from the current weak legal system, the weakest in the region, are making it so these folks that want to benefit from a stronger system have trouble competing. And one of the things that I want to leave you knowing today, and I promise you I'm not actually paid to be here by FSC, um, I, I, and we actually, and, and I've, had to, I've been asked about this, Oregon Wild doesn't get any money from FSC. We have no financial ties to these folks. I just really believe it's one of the best things that you can do as a consumer to support these sustainable operations while we work to raise the bar for everyone. And so I want you to be able to look for those products because everyone wants to know how they can help. Now, I'll be honest with you. I consider FSC a little bit of a, of a, of a partial victory. I actually think there's a lot better that we could do. And I know a lot of folks that go a lot farther above and beyond what FSC requires for this level of certification. There's a no, but there's a number of other quote-unquote sustainable certifications that folks can get out there that are really just industry rubber stamps. And so what I want you to look for if you're buying wood products and you want to support folks that are working for stronger logging laws is this label. It might be hard to find, but in this area where you are, fortunately, there's actually a huge participation in the Build Local Alliance, which you can find at buildlocalalliance.org. Now, you've heard about how you should know your farmers. I want you to know your wood growers as well. I want you to know those folks that are growing forests, not tree farms, so that you can get your wood products from them. This is a great place to find them, and it's a resource that's especially good for you here in this part of the state. What we're looking to do here isn't to end logging in Oregon. 
and I'm going to tell you how you can help us advocate for these kinds of rules in just a second. But what we're looking is to just require logging practices that protect these incredible resources. We're looking to do things like eliminate conflicts of interest on the boards and commissions that actually are responsible for managing and implementing these rule systems that are so important, where right now they're actually almost entirely dominated by timber interests. Some of our most important boards of commissions um, that, are, that are both involved in the management and the public relations arms of our timber industry are entirely dominated by companies like Warehouser. These are international companies or companies like in this area we have a lot of Greenwood Resources, Wall Street investment firms. And we want to look at our tax system because the reality is that under our old tax scheme uh, compared to our new tax scheme from, that's changed in the 90s on how we actually tax these lands, we're losing about f at least $40 million a year as a state compared to what these folks were paying 20 years ago. And so we've actually really gone a long way in reducing their tax burden. And so we hear about our struggling roads, our struggling schools, and we hear the spotted owl scapegoated for these things. And we hear groups like Oregon Wild scapegoated for these things. But the reality is that private lands logging levels have hardly changed in decades. But what has changed dramatically is the tax structure under which they exist. And so we're looking to not only change those taxes to really tax those folks into compliance with better ideas, but so that we can generate revenue in order to incentivize folks to go as far as they possibly can in protecting our watersheds and sequestering carbon. And so these aren't especially important things for you to know word for word, but once you've got that general idea, this is where I want you to take it. In this area here, you've got Representative Tiffany Mitchell, who works in Salem on your behalf, starting last, last week, I think we swore him in, right? Tiffany Mitchell, as opposed to other folks in the past who've uh, ran as state representatives in this area, uh, really tried to run on a platform of doing a better job environmentally. I've talked to her very directly, and I gotta tell you, I genuinely believe this is a person that wants to improve logging laws and protect our environment in Oregon. And so what I want you to actually do is not pester her about how much more she can do, but thank her for taking that stance and encourage her to stick up for it while she's in Salem. So I want you to contact your representatives, all of them, this is one that we get to say, thank you for doing a great job. Let's keep doing more. Now, a person that I can't quite say the same about is Governor Brown. I would love for you to call Governor Brown and give her an earful. Because what we found when it comes to reforming Oregon's logging laws is Governor Brown has not been our, on our side, and she has not taken the steps necessary to, to, to modernize our logging laws, and we think that she can do a lot more. In fact, just, last, just this last week, Chandra and I delivered a petition from thousands of Oregonians to Governor Brown's office calling on her to do just that. And then I want you to share it with your friends by finding our website at clearcutoregon.com. The other thing that we really need to be doing on those federal lands is talking to those federal elected officials that Chandra mentioned just a moment ago. Right now, is, it's really fun when we get the opportunity to thank our elected officials, right? I think as, as folks who really care about the environment, we don't run into that opportunity nearly as much as we'd like to. Fortunately, right now, we have an excellent opportunity to thank Senator Wyden for working hard to implement the Oregon Wildlands Act that would protect the Devil's Staircase wilderness area that we were just talking about and protect other important rivers and wildlands. And so right now is a great time to call those folks and say thanks for what you're doing, but we need to do more and we can't be giving up any ground. And so this is an opportunity for you to write down those numbers. And then to dig in on this climate information that we're delivering for you tonight, I want you to find it on our website, which I'm going to just leave up here again, which is oregonwild.org climate report. Um, if, you wanna, if you know Betsy, Senator Johnson, um, and you want to talk to her about these ideas, I, I'd strongly encourage you to. Um, but I, I have met with Senator Johnson uh, many times in the past, as of a number of the folks that I work with, um, and we have found very little room uh, for conversation around compromise. Yeah, as this person noted, she's also against the Clean Jobs Act. Um, 
it's I, I do I do encourage advocating with those with those elected officials um, who maybe aren't on the same page as us. Um, but but I think there's a, there's a lot of other ways to advocate as well where 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 time might be well spent. But those folks do need to hear from you, um, and so I, I would encourage you to con to contact Senator Johnson. Yeah. So it's a great question. This person is asking about um, about wildlife impacts on private lands, where specifically um, bears are considered a pest uh, because they might munch on young trees. Um, and there are issues out there with the trapping, shooting, and poisoning of wildlife on our private lands. Um, and I will say, specifically on these private lands, that's that's not something we've really dug into. And I'll be honest about that. Um, but it does go further to show the importance of those intact public forests. Um, and I think that is something that folks should be aware of. Native wildlife um, are being treated as vermin um, in their homes where they've always lived, and it's something that we really need to work on, absolutely. And beavers as well. Beavers are often treated as pests and killed or relocated, and these are things that are great for our forest ecosystems. We've been hearing a call for stronger Oregon forest laws from Chandra Legue and Jason Gonzalez of Oregon Wild. This is The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocket. Thanks for listening.